Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. One of the darkest elements of Donald Trump's ascendancy in the Republican Party has been the way that extremely hardline white supremacist groups followed in his wake, bringing with them ideas about race that many people thought had been defeated. We talk about the nexus of rank-and-file Trump supporters and organized hate groups that came together on January 6th. And then it's been a hard couple years in our homes. For many of us, myself included, plans have provided a way of celebrating life and growth despite the dark news. But how are we feeling about all those misshapen monsteras as the pandemic drags on? Maybe you kill everything and just got a new plant baby for the holidays. We're here to help. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. One year ago, far-right extremists stormed the U.S. Capitol, an insurrection spurred by the false accusations from President Trump that the election was stolen. Since then, the fever dreams on the right have only grown stranger, even as the facts of what happened have solidified. Frontline correspondent A.C. Thompson joins us to talk about what we know one year later, the rise of far-right extremist groups, and the way their ideas have entered the mainstream. Welcome to the show, AC. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So you've got a new and updated version of your documentary on American hate groups and the January 6th debacle at the Capitol, American Insurrection, it's called, and it debuted. Going back to the insurrection, what struck you as different, you know, these months later from when you were first working on this? You know, this is the thing is I figured that you might see something like what happened after Charlottesville and after Charlottesville, the white power movement, that part of the radical right really kind of went underground and regrouped and, and has, has not been the force that it was then in the years since. And so I thought you might see with the broader um, MAGA movement and with the broader sort of far right movement that it would be chastened, that it would go underground, that Um, people would be scared off of sort of militant activism of that sort. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think really what you've seen is 
the ideas that propelled people on January 6th are now sort of core ideas that propel the base of the GOP. So you've been researching these groups for years, and I, I want people to really hear what they're saying. So here's uh, extremist Mike Dunn, leader of the Last Sons of Liberty, a faction of the Boogaloo Boys. You asked him about recent arrests of some of his fellow radicals, uh, and this is what he said in the documentary. When they get out, we'll welcome them with open arms, um, or we have a revolution and, and we free them. When things pop off, we're going to be liberating them first. Are you worried that more people are going to get wrapped up? Yeah, more than likely. So I just hope they go out shooting, killing the ones who come to enforce unconstitutional law. So be it. We're past the point of peace. I think about a revolution against the government. I do believe it's inevitable. What do we do when ideas like that and people who've gone that far into their into their version of politics? Like, what do we do when those people begin to mix into the mainstream of the Republican Party? You know, I, I don't know what you do. What I do is, is I get very worried. And I think when you look at the, the current polling data about the numbers of people that, one, believe that the 2020 election was stolen, and then the percentage of those people who believe that perhaps violence is necessary to change the course of the country, that's very, very worrisome polling data. And I think there's a lot of credible social science out there that shows this sort of turn towards towards militancy that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. So to me, I think the first thing is that we just have to acknowledge that and really start having this conversation. I know that's a kind of pat answer, but I don't have a better one. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that has come out over the last few months is who the people were who were charged on January 6th. And just quoting from Bart Gelman's feature in The Atlantic, which has some of that social science in it. We had him on the show, too. And one of the most chilling things, I think, that that he wrote, and this is a quote, several dozen of those charged did have connections with the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, or the Three Percenters Militia. But a larger number, six out of every seven who were charged with crimes, had no ties like that at all. And to be honest with you, I feel like that freaks me out more rather than less. You know, that's actually a discussion that we had in making this film. And that was my colleague, Rick Rowley, the director. That was really a a good insight that he had that I think maybe we didn't touch on enough at the end of the film is that, you know, his sort of sense is like, look, we followed all the most radical extreme groups and the people within those groups. And it turns out that, yeah, they were important. In some ways, they were the tip of the spear on January 6th. But that broader group of unaffiliated people who felt motivated to storm the Capitol is perhaps more worrisome and perhaps reflective of how those ideas move from a a small sort of self-contained group like a militia group or the Last Sons of Liberty or the Proud Boys into a sort of broader mass of people. And that informational piece of it really does seem to be primary in this case, like the way that people have begun to build up their case for taking this kind of radical action. You also talked to Representative Benny Thompson, chairman of the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack. And here's what he had to say. It's cut three about the misinformation surrounding the events of that day. You get people who I talk to on a daily basis who will actually tell me that what I saw and experienced on January 6th really didn't happen. People come to you and they say, oh. January 6th didn't happen. Yeah, it, it, it said, look, 
Uh, it was the Black Lives uh, Matter folk. It was Antifa uh, dressed up as Trump people who did that. Or in addition to that, you have those millions of folk who are out there who are convinced that those individuals who broke into the United States Capitol, they were some of the greatest patriots. So more than almost any journalist I know, you've really been out there with these groups and, and these dudes. What do you think gets through to folks like this? Do you, have, do you think in your interactions with them when you sort of present uh, a countervailing side or you say like, well, what do you think about that? Um, do you think any of those things are, are breaking through this kind of wall of misinformation? Yeah, getting through that, getting through this sort of convincing people that the collection of facts and supposition and half ideas that they have and memes are, are you know, getting through through what people weave into a narrative and convincing them of a fact-based reality. That's that's a very hard thing to do. Where I do think that you can connect with people is that, you know, I, I meet a lot of these people and on the one hand, they have quite militant and extreme views. And on the other hand, they have uh, legitimate grievances in many cases and legitimate problems that the country is not dealing with. You know, I go to I go to Michigan and I hang out with these militia guys and they say, look, uh, I'm not a super Republican. I voted Democrat for years. I don't even like the Republican Party, but I saw all the jobs leaving Michigan. I saw all the factory work like I do on the assembly line leaving. And the one guy who, who said, I'm going to bring those jobs back was Donald Trump. And, and, you know, on the one hand, this militia guy I'm talking to is absolutely a, an extremist. And absolutely, I don't agree with a whole lot of his positions. But he's not wrong about that. Like, he's not wrong about the fact that uh, working people and people that work in the manufacturing sector and, and many other sectors of the economy have been forgotten and have been have been left behind and that both parties really did not were not particularly concerned about the fate of many working people in this sort of era of corporate globalization. And so I do think there are ways that, that you can there are common ground in these conversations that we can find. But I do think at the same time and and I, I spoke to, to Chairman Thompson about this. I spoke to, to Congressman Adam Schiff about this. Finding a way to penetrate the filter bubbles that we're all living in now and to penetrate the disinformation on social media, I, I am not sure how you do it. I don't know that anybody has a good yeah. plan for that. Well, it really feels like it's that combination of sort of the economic structures of the United States, which have been grinding on middle class and, and working class people for decades now, really you know, starting in the 70s, and our kind of newly multiracial democracy. So it's kind of like the anger about the first thing is also being turned into anger about the second thing and is generating some incredibly violent reactions that, that do have kind of a racial substrate, right? In many, in many cases, and I would say not in all cases, but in many cases that that is a subtext to it, right, is that I'm looking for a scapegoat because I'm unhappy with my with my condition and I'm a white man in America living in a community that's been left behind. And so who do I lash out at? You know, I went to a Trump rally recently where the former president spoke and it was just pure demagoguery. He was bashing 
immigrants, calling them invaders. He was bashing Afghan refugees, suggesting that they're going to come rape all the white women. He was bashing the media as enemy of the people. He was bashing the radical left socialist Marxist Democrats, saying they would destroy the cities. He was bashing the rhinos, the Republicans in name only, who are not sufficiently loyal to him. And so, yeah, there's this whole buffet of othering going on. There's a whole buffet of scapegoats that are out there in this current sort of framework that has been sort of built up by Trump on the, the backs of other authoritarian uh, thinkers. But there are also people that I think like can be convinced that that's not the way to go. And I think there's people that there is some, uh, there are places to build common ground if you can get past the conspiracy theories, if you can get past the disinformation. When I, I met people from the Boogaloo Boys, um, I did not agree with their anti-government views. I did not agree with their um, desire to violently overthrow the government. But a lot of these people I met had served in the U.S. military, and they felt that they had been that that they had been mm -hmm. basically treated as disposable humans, and that the mission that they'd been sent on into Afghanistan or Iraq was farcical, and that you know. It was their lives have been wasted. And I think those are legitimate concerns and legitimate grievances, you know? Yeah, they're definitely actually not wrong about that. Um, what do you want people to take away from this documentary just before we let you go? You know, I, I think um, the thing that I would most like people to do is to really think about what this means. If you tell tens of millions of people over and over and over again, hey, democracy's over, um, elections are all bogus, they're all going to be stolen and rigged, and um, we no longer really have a democracy. What do you think is gonna come out of that? That's what former President Trump did over a span of years. And what we're now seeing, and what we're gonna be living in going forward is such intense distrust for the fundamental institutions of this country, that people may be motivated to take dramatic violent action over and over again. We've been talking with A.C. Thompson, staff reporter with ProPublica and a correspondent for Frontline. Thanks for joining us, A.C. Thank you so much. His investigation into the assault on the U.S. Capitol is featured in an updated version of the Frontline documentary, American Insurrection, which is available to stream on Frontline's website, YouTube, and the PBS video app. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.